Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Will the public give you a second chance? Will brands give you a second chance? Will the whole rest of the community give you a second chance? We're not sure, yeah. you know? We live in a crazy time where everybody gets quote-unquote canceled. Hi, I'm Kemi Sharia. And I'm Monica Ainley. And you're listening to Fashion No Filter. Where we sit down with some of the lead creatives, strategic thinkers, and emerging talent around us to interpret the ins and outs of the fashion industry today. Hello and welcome back to Fashion No Filter. Hello, Monica. we've got a very hi, Kemi. We've got a very fun guest for you today, guys. We certainly do. They didn't exist a few years ago, but influencers, bloggers, and YouTubers have truly become forces to be reckoned with. Like it or not, they are key players in an industry with, where print media, advertising, and communication channels have drastically shifted. They really are part of the fashion ecosystem now. Their personal point of view and friendly tone captured the heart of their audience in a more profound way than magazines and news outlets ever did. That said, some might argue that as marketing yourself as a brand has become increasingly popular, influencers who were once really truthful storytellers have slowly but surely turned into sort of marketing machines. And people that can basically be bought, I suppose. Yeah, and one could even argue that they've become puppets for the brands they are meant to be impartial towards. Mm. Our guest today could never be accused of being afraid to voice his opinions and that's even when he knows it might put him on the line with some of the brands that he's worked with. Yeah. Brian Gray Yambao, aka Brian Boy, was a former web developer who started blogging at 24 and has never stopped. We sat down with him today to spill the tea, as they like to say, um, and talk about some of the things that have been going on truly behind the scenes in our industry. Guys, if you were wondering when you were going to get a gossip, episode of Fashion No Filter. Now is the time. So fetch the tea as Kemi and a lot of other millennial people would say. <laughs> so guys, just so you can get an idea of Brian's tweets, replying to a large department star in New York that's launching secondhand luxury. He wrote, this is straight up exploitation of the secondhand market by traditional bricks and mortar retailers. I feel like many will seed these channels with unsold old outlet stock under the premise that they're, quote, secondhand. Um, he also replies to <laughs> CNN's tweet, the transgender flag, women wearing tuxedos, bottle feeding parents, and a gender neutral Santa are all coming to your phone. And then Brian replies, are they kidding me with gender neutral Santa? Three question marks. Haven't we established that Santa Claus is an old bearded man from the North Pole? <laughs> anyway, just to set the just to set the tone, Brian, we're coming for you. I hope you're ready for our questions. <laughs> and we hope you guys are ready for Brian's answer. <laughs> We're here in Paris with Brian Boy in his hotel room. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Brian, how would you introduce yourself? My name is Brian and I live in Sweden and I work in fashion in social media. 
And how long have you been doing this? 15 years. <laughs> wow. So Actually, 16 years. 2000 and I started in 2004, so. So back then, was it blogging? It was blogging. Blogging was my original platform, and it obviously, as times changed, I moved to Instagram, and yeah. Does that mean you don't do a lot of writing anymore? Or? I'm, I'm planning to bring it back. I actually miss doing long form, mm. you know, um, pieces, but I, I'm trying to decide whether to do writing or videos. You know, videos is something I've been um, playing with in the past year or two. I kind of want to- TikTok. Not TikTok. TikTok, <laughs> TikTok is for like 13 year olds. I'm thinking of going to YouTube, you know? Yeah. yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the digital space and what made you, because you really were one of the first, the, I, the generation one bloggers. Oh my God. Um, so what, what gave you the idea? What suddenly inspired you to sort of start sharing your life? Well, it was October of 2004 and I've never seen snow in my life. So I was looking at pictures of Red Square, Russia, in Moscow, you know, on Wallpaper magazine, and I thought, okay, you know, maybe I should go there to see snow. Like literally, the village is <laughs> snow. So I've never been any at that time. I've never been anywhere where there's snow. So in October, I booked myself a plane ticket for three weeks. I thought I'd explore Russia, you know, Moscow and Saint Petersburg. And of course, being the dumb bitch that I am, was, I had no idea that there's no snow in October. I just thought, oh, it's Russia. It's cold. It's gonna be <laughs> fine. There was no snow. But in the end, I thought, okay. Um, I, I thought I'd create a blog where I can um, express myself and kind of like make a travel diary. Mm -hmm. And then when I got back from my holiday, what was I gonna talk about? And then I just started to talk about fashion. You know, I love magazines, I love models, I love looking at clothes. It's just something that I've always been interested in. And then started from there. But you love talking about fashion, but you're also not afraid to speak up about issues within the industry. Like I have really noticed that about you and admire that. Where does that come from? I just feel like I, I have so much opinions on so many different things, whether it's fashion or not. And I feel like if you have a platform, why not use it? Why not use it to communicate with people? I mean, in the beginning when I started my blog, it wasn't just purely about fashion either. You know, I was talking about myself and I love using, I love using my voice online as a tool to communicate to people, whether you're talking about important or not important issues. I just love the idea of being able to talk to as many people as possible. You were one of the chosen ones by style.com that had a blog that was integrated into the, the old style.com, isn't that right? Yes, well basically what happened was with style.com um, and Condé Nast, you know, they had this platform, they integrated us there. There's like eight people, Derek Blasberg, Rumi, you know, different people, Susie. Ellen Kling? Yeah, Ellen yeah. Kling, yes. Now Manifest, I believe it was called. Now Manifest, now manifest yes. of course. Yeah. And it's really fascinating because when they presented it to us, they sold it in a different way, different idea. But in the end, it was kind of like the founder of that site Renault sold that, you know, sold the whole blogging platform to Condé Nast for a ridiculous amount of money. Well, I and think then he that, ran away. <laughs> uh, uh, Dirk Sandin. No, no, no oh, not, not, not Dirk. A, a no, Swedish no. guy, actually. Oh, was a, Ellen's oh former a, the founder of Now Manifest, yes. not the editor of Style.com. Yes, yes, oh, yeah. I get it. Okay. Yeah. And so after that happened, did you then begin blogging on your On my own platform again, platform. yes. Basically what happened was I had my own platform. I used to be with Typepad. And then we moved to Now Manifest. And then after that, they're like, they sent us an email, we're shutting it down, it's not working. And then we had to go to our own platform. Just like that? We had two months notice. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, the industry is a harsh one. <laughs> it is. But it's, it's okay because at that time, I think, 
the, you know, the brand, I mean, the platform and also, you know, Condé Nast, I guess, they had, and also with just the industry in general, I think that was in 2010 or so, they had no idea how to sell digital platforms to brands. Right. Whereas now, it's just so easy. It's kind of like, you know, the digital communication is part of a brand strategy. Mm -hmm. Whereas at that time, brands were still hesitant in working with digital platforms. So back then you were already starting, I, I suppose, to attend shows and get invited to events and being dressed by brands. When did you notice that um, the relationship between bloggers slash, as we now call them, influencers, but I think it was bloggers back then, and editors got a little bit complicated? Iffy. I think it's always been iffy. It's you always, think it still is? It's, it's still iffy. It's always been iffy. You I think know? it got better. Now it's got worse again. Really? I think it's just gotten better. No, I think it went But to... I've been sitting between the two for a while and I just don't really know. I don't know. Maybe you But here's the thing. I mean, I have a different relationship, for example. You know, um, when I first came out, going to the shows and everything, of course, you would hear like whispers and people like editors, you know, talking about us behind our backs or really? I, I mean most of my friends are editors like most right. of my friends are editors so in a way they would always complain oh but you know they're always coming out oh, this influencer this this blogger that but it's not about you but you can tell mm. that there's some kind of like resentment mm. because obviously their position in in the chain changed but nowadays it's still the same you still hear the same editors complaining about influencers whether it's seats or not you know like for example it's weird I mean, I still think that it's weird that I'm sitting in a front row and then the editor-in-chief of a magazine and I don't know, in Germany or in mm. Holland is sitting third row. Yeah. Um, there's, of course, you can't really put everybody in the front row. It's just not no, the way it works. Can't. And there's still resentment in a way. There's still resentment. Mm. I mean, of course, I mean, some of my friends who are editors or work in publishing um, know that... It's just a, two different complete, you know, two different platforms. Is that resentment born out of the fact, quite simply? I mean, I don't want to reduce it to this, yeah. but quite simply, the fact that you can potentially make more money as an individual influencer than you can as an editor, or is it more complicated? I think it's more complicated. I mean, of course, I think influencers make more money than, yeah, than people who work in a traditional publishing house because at the same time, they're really not allowed to take, well, most of them take consulting jobs, but if you work for certain companies, you're not even allowed to get gifts. Like people in New York Times, Women's Wear Daily, yeah. you can't take gifts and you can't have a side you know, gig. Whereas with us, it's really free for all. I mean, these people, these traditional media people, they work for an institution, whereas for us who work in a digital space, we have our own brand and our own companies. We're self-employed and we're self-made. So we have more flexibility in taking on different projects. Whereas for them, they're really limited to their salaries. Yeah. Although, and and yet there is something very noble in that. And the of fact course. that the fashion editors at the New York Times, for example, are held to the same standard of journalism <laughs> and never accepting gifts as the political editors is quite admirable. Definitely. And but I think it's not just about the salary itself. It's also the fact that because all these new people came in and changed the game, whereas you had these three good seats that were kept for you every season and you would be flown business class to New York and that was guaranteed and you'd be put up in an insanely nice hotel. And that was just part of the package. It was part of your career job, basically. Mm. Now that is divided between a lot more people. So True. even the editors who are not getting like paid as much as what influencers right. would be are not even getting the perks that they had alongside their jobs before. So I think that's also making things... Because even bit... with the biggest brands, there's only so much to go around. Definitely. Yeah, obviously. Like, you can't just keep like unlocking budget. Yeah. Like, 
in but it's, fasc- it's way. fascinating, you know, like, oh, yeah, sure, a lot of editors are being flown all the time. Whereas in my case, from day one, I've always paid for my own travel. Mm. Unless, of course, I'm being flown on a cruise or a resort show. Mm. But then usually the brands cover my travel. But going to fashion weeks, you know, men's, women's. I mean, I always pay for my travel. I don't do sponsor deals with hotels. Mm. I'd rather pay for my own hotel, pay for my own flight, because again, it's part of my work. You know, I work with brands on a year, you know, on a year-long basis. So, in a sense, it's my only, in- it's one of my few investments. I yeah. want to read something that we found on your Twitter. We love your Twitter. Bless. Um, that you <laughs> retweeted at Pam underscore Boy. Journalists are inherently influencers, censors stricto but most didn't know how to adapt and were delusional about where influence was really found. It's not in your very serious newspaper or your Vogue. It's how you actually connect with the public. No more ivory towers. I agree with him. I completely agree with him. Because again, at the same time, you know, like for me, it's about my connection to my audience Mm. and that that I find so special. And if, if people listen to whatever I'm saying, in a way, I'm already influencing them. Whereas, sure, you know, I still read, I mean, I, I read newspapers all the time. With magazines, not so much, you know? Magazines used to influence me on like what to buy, where to go, but in a way, the times have changed. Totally, and I totally take your point, but to play the devil's advocate, mm. um, a journalist has an impartiality that we technically cannot have as any kind of influencer. This is this would be the other side of that argument because it, the moment you're being paid by a brand, uh-huh. you even subconsciously have an affinity to them. Or e- the moment you've been given a bag, uh-huh. well, they've buttered you up, haven't you? Well, so that you begs the question: be, Would but, you feel but, comfortable if someone gifts you a bag, like say you're here with, I don't know, Chanel? Would you be comfortable not wearing something that they've sent you or saying that actually like you don't want it? Is that something that you feel? Happy this about? actually happened with me in Milan, you know, mm. in Prada, for example, um, Prada dresses me at their events mm-hmm. and you know they they always give me freedom you know to borrow looks whatsoever i you know before the show i borrowed look number one you know on men's i got a black double-breasted jacket a blue tank top khaki shorts the look arrived in my hotel room first thing i thought was like i can't wear this <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Yeah. So can you imagine going through the effort of requesting a look, yeah. you know, going to the show. So in a way, you already have this pressure that I borrowed this sample, yeah. you know. From Especially the... from big houses like yeah. that, you know. And you so what did I do? I mean, I went to Prada, bought my own outfit, <laughs> you know, went <gasps> to the shop. I mean, something that I really, really like. Yeah. And then I wore it to the show. So in a way, I mean, not, you know, knock wood, but I'm very, very lucky to be able to have this freedom mm. at the same time, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I have done, I mean, even though I have a close relationship, whether it's being gifted or, you know, on a, we're working together, I'm still in control of what I want to do. And I do things because, you know, I believe in it, you know, because yeah. I, that's what I wanted to do. But with magazines, for example, I mean, we all know that most magazine editors are gifted. They're mm-hmm. all, we all know that in a way, they're also impartial. I mean, for many years, you know, they have to support their advertisers. It's just mm-hmm. a fact. Yeah. It's it was fact. that line that we that um, Lucinda Chambers said in that artif- article that she did for um, BOF when she no, got fired. No, it wasn't BOF. It was um, Vestoj. 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And where she says, um, putting Alexa Chung in that horrible Michael Kors t-shirt, we knew it was horrendous, but we did it anyway because they were advertisers. Yeah. Which was like a bomb. No one ever yeah. says things like no that. No one ever says, they keep and so shtum about that. But this is the other thing. I feel like our, our industry is banging on about transparency and like sustainability and like how to be more open. But no one actually admits what goes on behind the scenes and how the power play is. Because yes, influencers have that problem but mm -hmm. magazines and but there's also no shame in wanting to make some money the the, the magazines want to stay afloat yeah, and it's course. hard enough as it is yeah so they need and um, let's use michael core as an example because michael core sells a lot of bags and then you can advertise um they need them in the way that an mm. influencer also needs to have you know working relationships with certain brands that have a lot of money and it can hopefully go on for years and be a beautiful Agreed. thing but that's yeah but just that just the no general notion that i just find the whole notion that you know oh we're magazines we're we're you know yeah. we're basically our position is like we're high on a totem pole, you know? Like, they're no different than influencers, basically. I mean, it's just like the same thing. Yeah, the only difference, I suppose, is that yeah. the point of view is more... Institutionalized, in a way. Mm. It's not on a personal level, whereas with influencers, there's still an element of you in it, you know? Whereas with... Right, and I think that's what people love about following someone like you who's going to talk about what's going on in the world a little bit and talk about like your, something yeah. like your Twitter. Everyone check out Brian's oh. Twitter is that you are stripping away the line of editorial command. I mean, I've worked for magazines before yeah. you, where you ultimately it goes all the way up to the editor-in-chief if it's of an important topic, because everyone is deciding together that this is how we feel about this mm -hmm. issue, <laughs> whereas yeah. it, you're getting it just straight from the horse's mouth. And I think people find that exciting. I hope so, but I have nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, again, if I made a mistake, I always apologize to say sorry, you know, but I always stand for what I believe in. And there's no shame and, you know, for me having this freedom to be able to say what I want. And I want to keep that, you know? And do you ever feel threatened um, by the new kids on the block or the new generation? Because like we're talking about the frosty relationship between editors and, and influencers, but I feel like sometimes nowadays there can also be a bit of a frosty relationship between the first generation of bloggers and then the, new, the newbies that have come in and who are just like basically accused of being basically walking billboards and who haven't come in with a personal blog and a point of view and who've just come in and done all of that. What do, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm not really threatened per se. I mean, I've already seen this, you know, like there's a first generation, second wave, third wave, and now we have TikTok stars. It's going to steal all the jobs mm. from, you know, the 16 year olds who will steal the jobs from the 25 year olds. I mean, I still believe in that, you know, if you have an audience, I mean, my audience is obviously smaller than some of, you know, these girls with like mega millions of followers, but you know, these are my audience and you just have to cater to them. Um, there's really no threat per se, because again, everybody, you know, I work with different brands. So these brands believe in me, whether I have 200,000 or 500,000 or a million followers. So we all have our own relationships and there's no brand that basically works with everybody. Now, yeah. you also spoke out against um, Garance yeah, Doré. Uh, so for those who don't know, Garance Doré is, yeah. I would call her a, like, 
original. Yeah, she was the blogger. French original blogger. She was the original French blogger. She's actually Corsican. She came up as an illustrator and was a dating Scotch woman for many years. Well, yeah, but even before that, she had this blog where she took photos of she illustrate did fashion illustrations and took photos of well dressed girls in the street. If I and she wrote and blogged and it was all great. I mean, I remember、uh, there was a time when I was doing some summer internship. As a fact checker in a Canadian magazine,、yeah. and every morning when the editor's back was turned, I was like on Galhon still,、yeah. like clockwork, every single morning. Anyway, so she had a lot of success. Then she and Scott Schumann, who friend of the pod, Scott Schumann, were going out, and she became. I mean, they were like the it couple of fashion、yeah. bloggers, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Fast forward, what? That was ten years. What five, five ten years ago? Yeah, six, yeah. seven. Yeah, time goes so、ago. fast. It's I crazy. I know. <laughs> and she did a speech at a BOF conference. A BOF conference、mm-hmm. recently, and she was not very happy about the state of the industry. Why don't you tell us what? what I mean, I, I mean, it's not about like me calling her out. Well, first let's say what she said. How would you explain what she said? I mean, I first read an article. You know what she said on CNN. Which is you know CNN.com.、Mm. They covered the conference and basically provided a transcript of what she said. Obviously, I wasn't there at the conference, so I wasn't、yeah. able to watch and look at her you know reactions or physical reactions, I guess. But looking at the text and judging it from the text of what she said, she seemed she seemed very bitter about the industry at large, you know. And I understand that you know we all have our own personal experiences, and I am not. Negating what you know, or or even taking. I mean, I just I'm not negating how she feels, but I just completely disagree with what she said. Because she talks about her experience and how there was so much pressure and how she always had to be dressed in the bread, how she always had to look good, she had to be at the show, and all of us know about. Of、this. course, and, and then, so we're same with everybody. Right.、Well, she she painted the industry as a monster, as a nasty, as, nasty as place, destroying the planet, completely vapid, no real relationships. And her speech kind of culminates in her sitting in a luxurious hotel room, surrounded by Chloe bags.、Crying. Yeah, she was crying, you know, because she's surrounded by Chloe bags. And then she went to Dior, and she sat beside all of these new influencers behind her, you know, beside her, and she found the whole experience dreadful. So can you imagine? Like for me, I put myself in a shoe of like another influencer, you know. Sure, I, you know, imagine me being a huge, huge fan of Garans, and then I sat beside her at a show, and then I compliment her, you know, oh, Garans, so nice meeting you. And then she's gonna be like, "Oh hi, hello!" And then deep down inside, she's finding the whole experience dreadful. And, and then she was... called people, you know, hypocrites. And I'm like, "Well, you know, who's fake here?" Yeah. But、right. here's my, the biggest problem that I have is yes, she portrayed fashion as this whole, you know, horrific, evil boogeyman. Yeah, exactly, this evil boogeyman. But for me, it's like. If、I used to live in the Philippines. I started my blog in the Philippines, and fashion gave me this community and a, fa- a second family per、mm. se. I've met some of my long-term friendships in fashion.、Mm-hmm. You know, sure, I did not play the same game as she did because obviously she featured certain people, she photographed certain people, she played a game.、Mm-hmm. No one was pointing a gun to her and said, "This is how you should act." You know, she acted. The way that kind of like benefited her in the end, and the same thing as I did, you know. Like I didn't play the game like she did. We all play the game in our own different way. It's you know, but the amount of resentment that she had, and then another thing that kind of like you know, strike me at that time was she was on a press tour 
telling everybody about her experiences. So it wasn't just BOF. She gave an interview with Elle. This yeah. before BOF. So in my head, I was like, I wonder if she's rebranding mm -hmm. because she's on a mission to tell as many people as possible that she gave up on Fashion Week. Yeah. So that was kind of like suspicious for me. Just people already have a negative opinion of how fashion people are, but I have met so many incredibly nice people who are helpful, loyal, you know, and it's just like any other industry. Totally. Well, I think that we also like owe it to ourselves, mm. just this is my personal opinion, <laughs> to, if, if there are things that we don't like within the industry, instead of going outside of it and talking about it from the outside, it's like, let's figure it out from the inside. Let's right. attempt to be leaders to make it more positive. I mean, I sound like I'm from the Brady Bunch, but it is true, you know, we, and the higher you up, the mm. higher you are up in the field, the more you can change that. Of course. And the more you can influence, and I don't mean influence in the new sense, I mean influence the culture. Did she ever reply to you? No, no, no. not zero. You spoke to us a few minutes ago about how you felt like fashion gave you a second family. Yes. Um, and the sense of community that you found within the industry. Mm -hmm. um, you obviously come from a minority. Yes. Do you feel that like fashion has got better at representing minorities in recent years? Because I know it's always had a big problem with representation. Definitely. It's, you know, definitely. You can see it everywhere, you know, not just on the runways. People like to talk about um, diversity on the runways, which is, well, it's the first thing that people really see, you know? But I've seen so many changes internally in terms of like executives and people working, you know, in fashion houses from PRs. I've seen a lot of representation, so it definitely improved. But the only problem that I still have sometimes, and not all the time, is that, you know, when it comes to working with brands, you know, it's still different. It's still different. Like as what an influencer. Like for example, I already know that I'm already a unicorn be you know, being invited to the shows to the women's wear shows. Because I mean, when you go to the women's wear shows, it's usually all the girl influencers. You never really see a guy there or a feminine guy, but here I am. So from day one, in a way, it's already a privilege and you know, being I'm already so grateful to be able to work with women's wear brands since day one. But um, when it comes to projects, it's another story. You know, like for example, I can't work with certain brands because you know, they, they still like to categorize you whether a man or a woman. Mm. And in a way, I mean, I'm a feminine guy, so I'm still not a woman and I'm also not like a manly man. Mm, <laughs> so when you, right. when you, for example, I'm just gonna give you an example. Like if you, I don't know, if you work with like a very conservative watch brand, you mm -hmm. know, like sure they invite you to events, but you're not gonna have the opportunity to work with them on like different campaigns because you're not like this, mm. you know, the image of the man image that of a man that they want exactly. So sure, there are brands that I work with because I somehow fit their image, or I'm kind of like the diversity card that they're you know looking for. But there's still a lot of brands out there where I really don't fit. And how image. do we change that? Do you do you talk to the brands in house? Do you do you strike up conversations with them? I am not proactively trying to make them change. Okay. Again, different brands are looking for different things and different people for different projects. But you can't surely, work with everybody. Even if it doesn't come from the goodness of their own hearts, surely they want to be tapping into the LGBTQ community. Most like, brands as a do. Customer base. Most brands do. You know, again, I have seen even like eight years ago, you know, like some brands won't even touch anything involving around the LGBT community 
but now they're fine with it, you know, because right. again, you're seeing more and more representation in the media. Like, I'll give an example, like Cartier, you know, like they're so conservative in the past. You can see it from the people that they work with. Whereas now, I mean, I did two campaigns with them featuring the Guerlain bag. So mm -hmm. for them to be able to do that, you know, again, I'm like shocked that, you know, that their executives approved it, that they're willing to work, you know, with someone like me. I'm the only guy in like eight different, you know, amongst eight girls. So that was something. That's but exciting, I, Exactly. Yeah. And I would never be able to do this in the past. And speaking of that, I mean, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about it, but it was out in the open, so I'm sure it's okay. But yeah. like, that's also reminiscent of the Mira Duma situation that you kind of came across with. Yes. <laughs> what happened there? Mira, Miroslava Duma and Uliana were already in the spotlight for the postcard that they posted on Instagram. Yeah, they were already in a They were already in a you know, hot water. And then somebody sent me, you know, a link to a video of her you know, saying awful things, awful homophobic, transphobic things about, you know, me and Andrea Pejik and basically like the LGBT community. And she was speaking in front of like students, students like, I don't know, like 260, 300 students in, in Russia. I mean, sure, it, they have a different culture in Russia. They have a different stance on on gay rights or, or on gay people. I mean, it's notoriously homophobic, which is really fascinating because when I went there, the Russians that I've met are like incredibly hospitable, incredibly nice. But that was like 16 years ago. So now, I mean, Miroslava was there talking about us in a really horrible way. And it was shocking, you know? Did she use your name? Yes, yes, yes name, my photo on a presentation. It's fascinating because I never got an apology from her. Oh, you, you know, did at, at that time, no comment, nothing. And then she called me six months later. You know, she called. I remember. I remember calling her. I was in Ibiza. Really? <laughs> you know, I was in Ibiza. Then she called me out of nowhere. You know, and she apologized. She was crying on the phone, and then. I was shocked, you know, it felt like she was reading a script when she was talking to me because she just like kind of like went on and on and on. And she was like, oh, I want to give you space before I apologize. You know, I'm really, really sorry. This is really not me, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I accept your apology. You know, like, I just want to forget this. I mean, this has been a close chapter in my life. You said what you had to say, but that's about it. Uh, but yes, you know, she apologized six months later. She hasn't really been on the fashion scene that much anymore. Has I don't she? think so because I mean I guess I mean I know very little of her but based on what I've seen she does she stopped playing the fashion game and she involved herself in different sustainability I issues. I think it's uh, fashion and tech. I think she's yeah. doing right. like investing yeah. in bigger it's good for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now very this exciting. is now yeah. this all leads to and obviously what she said was like totally unacceptable yes obviously but what do we do about this kind of situation in fashion where we all of us are so public are people allowed a second chance it's a good one <laughs> i mean i believe in second third fourth chances of course but will the public give you a second chance will brands give you a second chance Will the whole rest of the community give you a second chance we're not sure, yeah. you know? We live in a crazy time where everybody gets quote-unquote canceled. Right, yeah, exactly. Exactly, and we wanted to talk about that. Yeah, because... Diet Prada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, they are super responsible for keeping people in check in a lot of ways. However, they are also, to some extent, propagating this cancel culture themselves. And where's the line? I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, I think it's good. I mean, 
I think it's good that, you know, Diet Prada is bringing light into some issues that are really not being talked about all the time. Yeah. I mean, who else would do it? I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, especially with me or with you, Camille, you know, we all have our own things to protect and we all cannot call people out all the time. Mm. Whereas with Diet Prada, it's a platform you know, they've sort of they've served as a watchdog for a lot of people. Is it because they keep their identity hidden that they can be? I don't product? think they're they hidden don't. anymore. They're, they're public. They're yeah, public yeah, yeah. now. But they originally did. Is that and by to build themselves up to the reputation yeah. that they had before they revealed their identities, they were private. Is that? Do you think that that's part of what allowed them to gain? No, no. I, I mean, I think. Probably about a couple of months after they started, they've become public. Yeah. You know, they, with a photo true. cover and okay. BOF, so they've always been public yeah, that, now. Yeah. And of course, yeah. I mean, brands pay, brands fly them out. You know, um, yeah. Prada, Prada flies them out. Yeah. Yeah. Gucci. Gucci flew them out. Dior, you know, flies them out. So in a way, they've already in, ingrained themselves in, in the fashion industry. And, and they're still not afraid to call people. I mean, of course, that's, that's, that's why people follow them, because of their authentic voice in a way but going back to the question whether they're propagating this cancel culture i think i think it's been happening way before even diet prada existed mm. it's just a matter of diet prada bringing these issues to light to a fashion audience you know but the problem is like whereas i do actually think it's important to call out these issues and i do actually think it's important mm. and great in a way that someone is Doing and it, it, yeah. not necessarily even doing it to like criticize, but to say, hey, like we noticed that this designer has been heavily inspired by this catwalk. Mm. And then what I always loved about Diet Prada is that six months later, they were like, oh, how funny. The one we called out and sort of protected last season this year is the one that we feel has perhaps drawn inspiration a little too closely to another designer. And so it always felt like no one was safe and they, they were not like they were really doing it to highlight how the industry worked. Now, I think as time has evolved and they've got more successful, mm. it got a little bit like they just I mean, you know, like obviously there was a lot about the Kardashians on there and they quite like. Yeah. They have certain targets. They, they play have favorite. targets. They have targets. They have and easy I know targets. That's also because yeah. targets are also things that people come and read it's like clickbait yeah. in a way which yeah. i think is it, it can get a little bit murky when you're putting out things that you know are actually going to get people really fired up yeah. as opposed to because those are the real issues but what it, i have found interesting is that in recent months as opposed to talking more about the creative side of the industry and how like plagiarism plays a big part in in uh, behind the scenes it's been a lot about minorities uh, yeah. cultural appropriation yeah. and all of that which i think has long been sort of left aside within the industry no one has actually been saying that much and it's a real pink yeah. elephant yeah and now yeah. that like you've got someone really calling out like the big names i think people are being kept on their toes a lot more yeah and it's, i think it's a good thing I yeah think it's a good thing for example i mean the, the sure they talk about like comedy garçon you know like how with all those those cornrow hairs i mean mm. this is a subject that people have already been talking about in the past with Valentino doing it. So you would think certain brands would have would learned know, a lesson. Of course, Mark yeah, Jacobs. Yeah, but, but they haven't mm. still. So, But the big one was the Dolce Gabbana show that yes. had to get cancelled. In, in China, yes, yeah. yes. I mean, they love a Dolce story. Because <laughs> yeah. they know it's just, again, it's an easy target. Well, also because Dolce and Gabbana reply and they get so mad. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're teasing your uh, yeah. your sibling over but, but and over again. The, and they keep getting angry and so you get the reaction. Don't forget, you know? I mean, with Dolce and Gabbana, they have built their brand, you know, 
on scandals and they love uh, this kind of publicity you know okay. like they, you know Dolce has always loved publicity whether negative or negative you know positive yeah. I mean for example when me Garance and Scott and Tommy were put on the front row you know at the Dolce show in 2009 so that was also another thing like I mean for me it's a big moment for me obviously for my career and I'm thankful for that but in but now in retrospect they were using us to get attention for That's for the interesting brand thing that you feel that way they did the same thing when they started making influencers walk the shows and everyone yes. was like what we don't want influencers walking who are they to walk yeah but you know but Dolce have always sought the spotlight and I have to say I mean they even put like YouTube stars mm -hmm. and, and royals yeah and royals so, so in a way they're on the pulse they're on the you know they know what they're doing there they're you know, they're taking advantage of what's going on around us so they love publicity and then I guess that's why when Diet Prada called them out they kind of like responded you know and also I mean right. look at um, Stefano Gabbana he's like a middle-aged man to be trolling people like celebrities calling I don't know like Selena Gomez ugly to you know I mean, he constantly uh, yeah. I, you know, he posted a comment, you know, so can you imagine trolling celebrities but doing he's trolling, this? He, in, interesting what you're saying, and I never thought about this, but you're right. He's trolling the person who has the most followers on the whole of Instagram. Yeah. Selena has the most followers, so. Does she really? Yeah. She's number one on the ground. More than Kim. Yep, she's number one. So, you know, I mean, just she trolled celebrities, you know. And then when Kiara, you know, Ferrani got married, you know, of course, Kiara posted her Dior dress. And then, you know, like, again, Stefano called her cheap on her wedding day. <laughs> well, publicly, she, he, had, he had no shame. Didn't she get married on the same feels. day as me? I think so, yeah. And, and... <laughs> Oh yes, she did get married on the same yeah, day. Because there were all these, in L, there were like all these, you know, yeah. like, brides of August 2018 <laughs> yeah. in September, and we were like... No, so I mean, imagine being that man who has no filter whatsoever, you to know. To call someone trash on their wedding day is very yes. low. But at the same time, I mean, you know, Stefano and Domenico, they own their company. So obviously, no matter who, who he hires as like a worldwide communications director or whatever, to kind of like, supposedly to protect him, he can easily get rid of him. So he's he, on top. You know, no one could ever tell him when to stop or to stop, you know? That is such a good But point. it's just horrible that, you but know, sometimes, he's doing this. Like calling someone ugly, okay, it's not great. It's a bit childish and it's rude. But it's yes. some of the things he's said have been past the point of being politically correct. Yeah. And that, to me, is unacceptable. Yeah. Especially, I mean, no, not especially if you're public. For any any situation, it's not okay. Yeah. But even more so if you have people watching and you're like... No, of course. Yeah, if you have nothing really nice to say, if it's a personal attack, then keep it in private. Keep it amongst your friends, you know? I mean, we all, we're all human. We love trash-talking people behind our backs. I mean, well, I, I do. But, it's a hobby, you I know? Like, to, do it privately. Totally, but I have to say, I think it's... A, I want to come back to your point about the CEOs creating some sort of check and balance. Yes. There, there are checks and balances in the fashion industry created by these corporate guys who get so much flack from everybody. Of course. But actually, if the... Because desi designers are creative people. Yep. They have highs and lows. Mm. And Galliano. Yeah. And, yep. you know, at least... Sometimes we all have to we all have to serve somebody, as Bob Dylan would say. Yep. Not that CEOs are always, you know, the most eye on the ball in terms of what's going on. But I, I don't know. I think that a, a watchdog like Diet Prada mm -hmm. is valuable. Of course. But we also have to watch the watchdogs to make sure that they don't get too 
Who Definitely. Or, or certainly we have to watch the way we respond to the watchdogs because right. the story is important yeah. and I think it's really great that someone is telling those stories mm -hmm. and highlighting those issues. But do we necessarily need to go and being like, Glow cancel her, it. like right. get her out of, like get her disinvited, get her, like that. It's I don't believe in cancel culture. I mean, one thing that I really don't understand because no one really gets canceled. But no, but also you know? like that, it, no if one. you start trolling yeah. people and calling them names and, and doing all these horrible things, you just become like the people that you're fighting in a way. Well, I mean, so, it would just live in a different time. It's become kind of like a recreational activity for people to be fake outraged, you know, because yeah. for example, like, you know, I posted something on Instagram, you know, just literally on the set of the Dior men's show by Kim Jones, there's, you know, there's different glass boxes with smoke, you know, going out and going inside the box in different light settings. There's a red, blue, orange, white. And then it just happened that the video that I posted of the finale had like an orange, tone into the smoke box, you know? So people automatically assume this is so disrespectful to Australia. How can they do this? You know, how can Dior do this? So literally people, it's really not my problem or Dior's problem. It's the mindset of people that when they see something online that kind of like ticks them off, yeah. they go crazy. I've probably received like 40, 40 comments, you know, people associating the visual of like an mm. orange box you know, connecting it to Australia. Like, it's yeah. insane. See, I had an issue last week. I was invited by Hermes to a, a really amazing trip where I, we were learning about how the bags were made. And mm. I posted a, a caption that was a reference to George Orwell's Animal Farm using <laughs> the quote, <laughs> all animals just... are equal, but some are more equal than others. Mm. And someone wrote to me saying, how dare you write this? It's, um, it's racist. And I said, it's <gasps> not racist at all. It's about... It's about the economy, it's about how socialism failed society, mm. and it's a comment actually on the, it's not at all about, it's, pol it's political, sure, but it's right. not racist. And we got into this huge debate where she's like, you have to take it down. Well, she clearly hadn't read Animal Farm. She was like, yeah. Yeah, she said, she said yeah. I, I know it's from on Animal Farm, but this is triggering yeah. for me because it's talking about a system where there's a hierarchy. And I said to her, I said, no, I said, I'm referencing one of the most read books of our gener of our time, and someone who I think is so relevant nowadays, if you also think of 1984, oh, I think yeah. everything he said is still mm -hmm. so relevant. And I said, I'm sorry, I won't censor myself because it makes you feel uncomfortable. And by the way, that's not what I was getting at. But it's true that it made me think because if I didn't have the confidence to reply that, I would have I would have deleted it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, on a way less intellectual level, just yesterday, <laughs> I was very excited to wake up to the photos of Brad and Jen flying oh, yes. back <laughs> oh, the yes. Australian yeah. Actors Guild Awards. So I put in my stories, you know, the first yeah, one yeah, where yeah, he's grabbing yeah, her, her yeah. and then a zoomed in one. And I was like, please let this happen or some silly thing, because it's just part of our youth. Of Brad course. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. all of these ultra feminists, because I do have a lot of feminists following me, which I'm very proud of. Yep. But wrote back being like, oh, please, Monica, I can't believe you're encouraging this. She should respect herself. What? Right, because like oh, a divorced wow. woman shouldn't be flirting with her ex-husband because she should respect Why herself not? because she's successful. I was and like, who said that they're flirting? There's chemistry, there's it's chemistry. Yes. Like, relax. Like, yeah. what? But also, like, if there's been chemistry before, there'll be chemistry again. That's just how life is. Yeah. Like, and like, thank God. And how? And why are we also taking? what happened out of context. What if, you know, yeah. literally, just like a hand. Yeah, I know, I know. I uh, mean, people love to create all these kind of like stories about a visual that they true. see. It's the culture that we live in. Yeah, and I think the platforms give, 
you know, give everyone a voice to react a certain way on something that they see. All kinds of like, you know, thought processes just like gone out the window. You know what I mean? Yeah. And people will always say whatever that they well, feel. Well, and instantly. people are just allowed to word vomit at exactly. you. Exactly. Into your DMs. So I guess, I mean, it's just the way that we live in, you know? Is mm. it acceptable? I mean, personally, not, but this is how it is now, mm. you know? Everybody has a voice and everyone's, I mean, the way I see it now, opinions are like butts. Everybody has one and it's an entitled <laughs> to. So. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I'll correct people, but most of the time I'll just like let it pass. Yeah, that's a that's a question actually. How do you decide when someone replies to your tweet, for example, yeah. that in a way that where it really gets to you? Yeah. How do you decide it? I mean, if it's completely out of the line, if it's insulting or, you know, if it's racist or sexist or really untrue, then obviously I'm, you know, I'm gonna block, delete, whatever. You know, there's always kind of like an adverse action that I would do. Otherwise, most of the time I won't respond to it. Grown up, very big of you. I can't because at the same time, you know, if I if I reply, then it's gonna you know snowball into something else. You know that you can't. I've just you know I mean it's just for me like you can't really change anyone's opinions. You can't. And what you, happens you, when people get fired up by the provocative things that you say? I just ignore them. Back. You ignore them back. Ignore them too. Okay. You know, because I feel time, like sometimes you can be also lighting the fire. Of not... course, but for me, like you know, I have my platform. This is how I feel. This is how I think. I share it. Well, and there are, you know, somebody else was saying the other day, if you don't like me, I guess just don't you follow, follow me. me. I know space. exactly. This is my sacred space. <laughs> you know, this is why I love having a private Instagram. Yeah, but from the moment that you're actually calling people's names yeah. out and like commenting on things that they're doing, they're entitled to feel like they're allowed to say like, whoa, back off. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Maybe we want to end on asking you um, what you would say to people who would like to be more like you and to be more outspoken. Yeah, and oh tips God. and tricks. Tips and tricks. How to get there. <laughs> I really feel like, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people shouldn't be afraid. You really have nothing to lose. And if you lose a client, for example, it's, I'm talking about influencers. You know, I, I get all these messages all the time. Oh, I wish I was like you. I wish I could express something. You know, like, for example, one issue is fur. I wear a lot of fur. I believe that fur is, you know, very sustainable. But of course, there's a lot of like influencers who are kind of like, I can't wear fur in public. I can't wear fur on my Instagram, but I, I share the same sentiment as you. So what do I do? And then of course, if you believe in something, you know, stand for it, have conviction on what you believe in. And this could be any other, you know, topic, whether it's fur or not. If you believe in something, stand up for it you know, have conviction. If you feel like you have an opinion on something that's happening in the world, share it. You're not gonna lose anything by sharing your opinion. If you make a mistake, if, if you're wrong at any time, apologize in public. But just don't try to censor yourself too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, opinions are opinions, you know? And if people don't like what they're saying, they're gonna unfollow you. And one more thing, uh, just in terms of getting to where you have got to. You know, Manila is not a fashion capital of the world, although I'm sure there's cool stuff going on yeah. there. But how did you like, what was your big break where you started to become known? I think it's more of like when Marc Jacobs named a bag after me oh, in 2007. How could we not bring it up? Yeah, when 2007, that's when yes. kind of like, first Marc Jacobs bag and then Dolce putting us in the front row and it's like, you know, snowballed from there. So you just gained a following slowly, and then yep. people I, like Mark and Dolce became aware yep. of you. And I remember, like Mark flew me to his, you know, first my first New York Fashion Week show, two thousand nine, I believe. And Mark was the only show that I did at Fashion Weeks, and started requesting, you know, if I can go to Michael Kors. I really had no idea how the system worked. So I literally researched online, you know, modem online, 
emailed people. Everyone denied me seats. <laughs> it's fascinating. I collect all my rejection emails. <laughs> and then it's funny because there's this like, you know, I, I posted something with Prada, you know, with Prada. This I'll never forget. I was in Milan in 2009. I requested a, a Prada ticket. And then they said, oh, Brian, you know, like, we'd love to invite you, but we have, oh, we're all over capacity, you know. And the person that sent me this email, I posted it, on, you know, online. And then this person, Alessio Vanetti, became, eventually left Prada, moved to Xenia, moved to Gucci as a worldwide communications director who I've been working with for so long, and now he's moved to Valentino. So literally a person that emailed you 10 years ago could mm -hmm. be like the chief brand officer of like yeah, another yeah. brand. And he always remembers me because I'm nice. I, I was polite. I was never rude, you know. He sent me, you know, he denied me a product. I said, okay, no problem. Maybe next season. So I developed my relationships, and mm -hmm. and people people's positions in the industry change all the time. You know, people play musical chairs, so you always have to be nice, nice to, to everyone that you meet, whether they're an intern or not. Hopefully, knock wood, touch wood. I don't have a track record of like being nasty to anyone, you know, especially with the brands. And I feel like that's how. I'm still afloat, and so I'm still around because I've always, I always try to be nice to people. That is great advice. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for no chatting. No problem. Thank you. thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. This is fun. Fetch the tea. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. I could go on for hours and hours. I know. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Well, that was as juicy as we expected. So fun. Let's hope it doesn't get us all in trouble. But I could have, well, it probably will, but I could have spoken to him for another three hours on that so far. I agree. I agree. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, we'll be back for more in a few weeks. If you love us, 
show us because otherwise we'll think you don't love us and we'll still think that you have a problem with my accent or like Kemi's jewelry jingling. So you better rate and review on iTunes. See you next time. Bye.